Hey guys, Pastor Jürgen here. We're so excited you're tuning into one of our amazing messages. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, it's going to be real, and it's going to be powerful. It's going to help you to grow stronger in your walk with God. It's going to put faith on the inside of you. It's going to cause you to be able to walk in greater dimensions of blessing and enlargement so that you can be a blessing to other people. Well, lean in, enjoy the word. God bless you. Have a good morning in church. We're in a, in a new series called "And There Was Great Joy in the City," and I, I I honestly think that this is this is our job right here to to bring the good news of the gospel. And my desire as a disciple of Jesus is to live the kind of life that compels other people to follow. That that's what I want to do. I want to put a smile on people's face. When they look at my life, they think, you know what, I can do it. She's not perfect, but she, she's getting along just fine and there's some good fruit there and she loves the Lord and she loves her family and she's, she's walking in, in the will of God. I can do it too. So this is, this is the job of, of every believer and, and I really think it's one that the Lord has equipped us for. So I want to share a message from... Uh, probably one of my favorite books of the Bible, the book of Judges. Now, Judges, I believe the book of Judges is the reason that the Bible has an R rating. It's, it's like where, where the movie Braveheart, Tudors, 1883, Yellowstone, and maybe Game of Thrones with a little bit of Real Housewives thrown in for good measure collide. Like if you, if you want a picture of the brokenness of humanity, read the book of Judges. And out of the book of Judges, and it's got some amazing heroes, Samson's in there, Deborah's in there. It's incredible. But one of my favourites is Gideon. I love Gideon because I feel like his story, there's no other character in the Bible that, that really shows the progression of what the Christian life should look like in three chapters like Gideon. So I'm going to be sharing to you, to you today from his story. And the title of my message is Changing the World Starts With You. So let me start by telling you a story of something that happened to me in 2019. So in 2019, before the world was turned upside down, I was at a coffee shop and I was sitting at one of those communal tables. Have you noticed that a lot of coffee shops are trying to do the work of the church where they're trying to bring people together? And so the little tables for two are becoming less normal so people can't be introverted and isolate. They're like, we're, we're forcing community to get along. But here's the thing. Here's what happened for me because I'll sit at those communal tables, but it's made me a shocking eavesdropper. <laughs> I... I love listening to other people's conversations. I'm not sure what that says about me, but, but if, I, if I had to give you a synopsis of all the many conversations I have overheard at the communal tables of life, I would come up with this, that everyone is pretty dysfunctional. Regardless of even their, their, their Christian status or not, most people are dealing with the baggage that was handed to them from their family of origin and then the baggage that they just picked up along the way living their life. And so, so I believe one of the great jobs of the church to bring joy back to the city is to help people take responsibility for what has been handed to them 
whether they're things that they picked up themselves or things that were landed on their plate by their fathers before them. And this is really the story of Gideon. And I'm going to give you the three points up front so you can look at the progression. I'm going to break it down into scenes. I'm going to try to do a bit of a movie. Look, I'm not Pastor Jürgen. There will be no Lion King voices, but I'm going to try my best. All right, Zumba. Everything the light touches is our kingdom. I, I just can't do a Jürgen, so I'm just going to be me. All right, I'll just be me. I'll just be me. There's only one at Jörgmeister. The, the world can only handle one at Jörgmeister. But we could, we could break up Gideon's story into three parts, an encounter, obedience, and then an assignment. Okay, so strap yourselves in. We're going to have a look at these three scenes in the life of Gideon and how they apply to our Christian walk today. Okay, you ready? Okay, scene one, the encounter. Judges chapter 6, verses 11 to 16. This is where we see Gideon have an encounter with the angel of the Lord. And just as a preface, this is the scene that every angel surrounding your life warfares over you having. The Bible says that the angelic host, it's their job to bring you to salvation. So this is the encounter. Judges 6, 11 to 16. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in, I believe that's Oprah's house that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So, so the Israeli people at this point are very oppressed. They've had their own lockdowns and shutdowns and they had to open their businesses illegally to put food on the table to hide it from Governor Newsom. <laughs> so I already like him because he's, he's delightfully defiant. There's something about him. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord. So clearly Gideon is British. <laughs> if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? If God is real, why does my life suck? That's what he's saying. But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian, our enemy. But then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? It's all coming out on the dance floor right here. He's having a very real moment with God. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. But the Lord answered, I will be with you. And these, these are some of the greatest words that you'll ever read in the entire Bible and they are repeated over and over and over again in every testament. I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, all the enemy, leaving none alive. Okay, this is the encounter. Let me set the scene. This is akin to, to Gideon coming down on an altar call and having an encounter with God, a moment that cannot be denied. And right here we see unmistakably in the encounter scene, God's kindness, God's graciousness. 
And when we first come to God, God undoes all the sticky words and the unfair labels that that cruel men have put on us. And now listen, I'm not sure whether Gideon thought these things about himself independently or somebody spoke them, but he now identifies as a weakling, as afraid, as the least. And God has to send the angel of the Lord to get a message to him. You are not who men said you were. And I know exactly what this is like. Many of you know my story, but I'm, I'm number four of five girls. All my sisters uh, graduated with college educations. I got married at 17 and had a baby at 19. So they have photos of all my sisters in their cap and gowns and then me at the same age with a pregnant belly with the double thumbs up. <laughs> and I got, I got to be honest with you, I learned nothing at school. Nothing. I think had I been born in this era, they may have diagnosed me with ADD, which kind of went away when I married Jürgen because it was like, <laughs> I, I must decrease so that you may increase. It's like, you, you think you have ADD. You got nothing on this guy. But I actually renamed it. It's not ADD. It's just an intense aversion to boredom. I can't handle boring. So, so, but back then they didn't like, this, this day and age they would work with you. They would find ways to teach a more creative, imaginative brain. But back when I was a kid, they're like, yeah, we're not even going to bother to teach you math. You can just pull weeds in the school. I pulled weeds during math class because they saw teaching me math as a waste of time, which was actually true because I have an iPhone with a calculator. So, so. What I'm trying to tell you is I grew up with a bit of a, a, a feeling that I, you know, I have some good qualities, but intelligence is not one of them. Like I'm, I'm, I, I'm just not a smart girl. But God comes to us in those beautiful moments in the glow of salvation when we have an encounter with him and he reminds us of who we truly are. Who are you? Let God tell you. Let the message of the Lord come to you. That's why church is so important because it washes away all that sticky residue that the world has put on you and the unfair labels. I didn't realise that I was actually one of the smartest people I knew. I just wasn't book smart. And, but God had to remind me. And then flash forward to when we moved to, to America in 2005 and I, had, I was still coming to terms with this encounter experience and being renamed. And I remember my first ever meeting with an American woman up close and personal. Actually, let me change that. Not just an American woman, a Californian woman, which is a whole nother breed. So, so we were staying at a hotel in Scripps Ranch because our rental accommodation had fallen through. We were like Jesus or Mary and Joseph and the inn. So we had to stay at the Scripps Ranch uh, Marriott residence. That's right, the residence inn. And so I was with my boys. It was summertime. We were swimming by the pool. We were having a, a great time. I was, you know, splashing around. Nobody had told me that one of the unspoken rules in Southern California is when women go to the pool to swim, they don't actually swim. <laughs> they just go to lay out. And, and, and I, 
Like, so I'm seeing this woman. Nobody told me that another rule was thou shalt not get thine hand wet in the pool. So I am wet. I'm looking like a drowned rat. And then all of a sudden I see, it's kind of like one of those David Attenborough discovery, like documentaries. This is an American woman. See how she struts by the pool in her string bikini with her spray tan and her wedge heels. I'm like, how does she stay upright? But I remember being just looking, immediately feeling intimidated, like manicure and pedicure. She's got everything going on. And then because American women are so beautifully confident, which I love, I think Australian girls are born apologizing. Sorry, 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 sorry. But American women seem to be born with this beautiful confidence. And so this woman came toward me like a goddess emerging from the sea, without wet hair, of course. And uh, she came up and she's like, oh my gosh, I noticed your Australian accent. Are you here on vacation? <sighs> and I'm, I'm, already, I'm already intimidated just by the look and... I'm like, well, no, actually, my husband and my three sons, we moved here and we're here to start a church. She goes, oh, don't we already have churches in America? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think you do. But, but we, we really felt God sent us here to start a church. Um, my husband and I are, are pastors and we were part of a church in, in Australia for quite some time. And our pastor asked us to come here and start a church and we feel it's God. And she's like, oh. You're a pastor too? Wow, I didn't know women could be pastors. What college degree do you have? Straight away, I am as triggered as anyone can be. Triggered. Now she was as nice as pie. She was a beautiful person with a beautiful spirit, but something was triggered in me. And it was that place that God was desiring to affirm in the encounter, you got to fix this. I remember going upstairs feeling like completely like hopeless. God, why did you send me here? These women are so amazing. They're so well put together. They're smart. They have degrees. I have a 10th grade education. Why did you send me here? I'm nothing like them. And I remember God said to me, Leanne, I didn't send you here because America needs more of what it's already got. Just be you. Just be you. Just be you. And he affirmed my identity in its uniqueness. It was okay to be me. And then he went on to say, Leanne, and it was never about your qualifications. It's always been about mine. You know, God is so beautiful in this encounter scene. So beautiful. And I think this is signified one way in the story of Gideon by the fact that when he pipes off to God about how he feels abandoned, where are all these miracles that our fathers told us about? We feel abandoned. Where are you, God? Blaming God. God actually doesn't respond to him. Now, if it were me, I would have said, you know what? Let's take a look at Judges chapter 6, verse 1, shall we? Let's go put it up there. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. I would have slammed him with this one. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. You want to blame me? Look at you. You've been doing evil, haven't you? You've been up to no good. But God is so beautiful in this first scene, in the encounter scene. He doesn't bring up stuff. It's like when Jesus said to his disciples in the Gospels, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot yet bear them. And this beginning scene 
of the story of Gideon. He, he, he is enveloped with the kindness of God. I'm going to affirm your identity. I'm going to show you your potential. I'm going to wash away the wicked words that wicked men tried to stick on you. And I am going to be gracious, even though I could say so many things. The reason Israel is in a mess is not because I forsook you. It's because you forsook me. But, but we'll leave that for scene two. Are you ready for scene two? All right. And, and scene one, the salvation experience, the salvation encounter is not the end. It's just the beginning. And to be honest with you, the transition between scene one, encounter, and scene two, obedience, is where a lot of people fall off. That's where a lot of people fall off. Now, let me make it really clear to you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, that whosoever should believe in Him, not behave in Him, believe in Him, shall have eternal life. You can come down the front. You can have that encounter, have God wash you, cleanse you, remind you of who you are, give you a glimpse of your future. And a lot of people go away and they go back to their old life. Yes, they're saved, but they're still dysfunctional. Have you wondered why so many Christians are dysfunctional? It's because they don't make the transition from scene one to scene two. Obedience. And this is we see where we see everything shift for Gideon. So God was, was so kind in the encounter and so gracious and he is kind and he is gracious, but that kindness takes on different forms as we progress in our walk with God. Scene two is obedience. Look at this. In Judges chapter 6, verses 25 to 27, it says, Now it came to pass the same night. So Gideon had an encounter and then immediately God progresses him to scene two. For most of us, it's not going to be immediate. Like me, it may take many, many years for you to get to scene two where God asks you to cut some stuff out. But He will always come with His pruning shears because He is committed to your discipleship because He doesn't want you to just be saved. He wants you to be delivered. Look at this. Look at this. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal, the idol that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. And then build an altar. Tear down the idols and then build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. I want to encourage you, if God comes to you like he comes, came to Gideon, and he will, and shows you an area of your life that you have to be obedient to tear down, and cut out, you might find fear rising up. It's okay to do it afraid. It is okay. Gideon still did it. He might have been afraid, but he did it. And sometimes it can be confronting. It, well, actually, not sometimes. All of the time it's confronting. When God comes to you in scene two and he says, okay, okay, now I've, I've spoken to those dry places of your heart. I've watered your soul. 
I've written, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You're going to heaven. But there is so much more for you. Now it's time to deal with the dysfunction that keeps rubbing from you. Because the reason the, um, the, the Midianites would come in and rub from the Israelites was simply because they'd introduced idols into their worship. So they were worshiping God and idols. Hello, America. We've, we've been really good at that all over the world. We'll have a piece of God and then we'll have some idolatry as well. Other things we're bowing our knee to that may feel good for a moment, but they rub from us. They're rubbing from us. And, and I think in this, this particular part of the story and truth for my life, God brought me to a place where I had to come face to face with the idols from my father's house, from my family of origin that I had been bowing to that I thought were normal. Gideon would never know that the idol of Baal, which means owner, coincidentally, and Asherah, the fertility or sex goddess, were the problem until the Holy Spirit showed him. These were, these were part of his culture after all. He, he grew up in a household where it was normal for them to, to worship God and so they'd be in church, shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing, bam, on Sunday. And then, and then Saturday night, they're in the clubs, dropping it like it's hot. And then they're wondering why their life sucks. You know what? God knows why your life doesn't look the way it should. And it's because there's been some things that are rubbing from you. It's not enough just to have an encounter with God and let Him fill you up. Now it's time to deal with some of those idols in your father's house. Maybe things that you picked up, maybe things that were handed to you. I, I'm a beneficiary of having beautiful Christian parents who fought their own battles, who my, my mom really warfared to, to end a systemic line of sickness in our family. Her mother died of a chronic heart condition at 42. She inherited that same chronic heart condition uh, as well as other things, but she warfared and broke that in our family line. I'm a very healthy person because of it. My father struggled terribly with, with rejection because he was rejected from his father who was a politician and had no time for him and it affected him deeply. And he was now handed this baggage of rejection and struggling in his identity, didn't know how to be a strong man. So he had to wrestle with God. But it didn't negate the fact that I now had some issues in my own life, partially little bits from my family of origin, but also things that I had adopted into my own world that I had to bring down. And if you think about it, as you read through the book of Judges in Judges chapter number three, God says to the Israelites, I'm going to leave some enemies in the land because this generation of youngsters who have never known warfare need to know how to fight. So every single one of us will be handed something and God will open our eyes to the idol that seemed normal. It seemed normal to him. He woke up in the morning, he saw the idol. He came home from school, he saw the idol. He carried his wife across the threshold. He saw the idol, it was normal. It wasn't until he allowed God access, the Holy Spirit came and said, this ain't normal. And it's rubbing from you. And, and I, had, I had that moment. I had it as, as a young pastor. I remember hearing a story when I was a teenager about my own father. And, he, and he'd had so much breakthrough in the area of rejection and fear. 
Um, but, but even still, there was still a little bit of residue and there usually is. And I remember my mum telling me a story about when my dad went to a men's conference. I was about 12 years of age and he went to the men's conference, but then he sat in his car during the breaks because nobody would talk to him. And I remember thinking as a teenager, those jerks, how dare they not talk to my dad? He's amazing. Stupid clicky church. I remember thinking all those things. I, I thought that this was normal because I'd grown up with it. You know, if you feel intimidated, you sit in the car. Like, like you blame everybody around you. It's them. But what I didn't realize until God got a full-length mirror out was this ain't normal and you're going to pass it on to your kids if you don't deal with it once and for all. So flash forward, when I hear this story when I'm a 12-year-old girl, I'm now a 22-year-old woman. Ten years later, I'm a pastor, you guys. I'm a woman of the cloth. And, you know, I'd, I, you know, I'd been able to skate by so long because I had or have a husband with an enormous personality. He's got personality enough for everybody. So I, I didn't need one and I didn't need to pioneer in the area of friendships because here comes the Jürgen train, choo-choo, and I could just... Because he was fearless in so many ways. I could kind of like disappear under the cover of Jürgs. But then one day, and God will always allow this day to happen, our security blanket is taken away from us. And we were invited to an event that Jürgen couldn't go to because he was sick. And Jürgen said, babe, I still want you to go. Immediately I'm panicking, like, no, alone. But I, but I need you, Jürgen. I can't function without you. The two become one, the two become one. <laughs> and so because I'm obedient, I went anyway. And I pull up to the meeting and I look in this big glass room as all the pastors and their wives and church leadership team are all meeting and chatting with one another. And I look into that room, very aware I don't have my security blanket, Jurgs, and I'm like, I can't, I can't go in there. No one will talk to me. Not why would anyone want to talk to me? <gasps> Flashback. 10 years earlier, and I hear my mother saying the same words about my father. And I'm thinking in my head, oh my gosh, history repeating. But God is so beautiful. He's not afraid of our mess. In fact, he runs to mess because he knows how to fix it. So, so in that moment where I, I'm, I mean, I look like a, just a weird stalker looking out the car window into this glass room, everybody's having fun except me. I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, but I'm dysfunctional. And sometimes, my friends, I hate to say it, but it's true, ministry is a really easy place to hide. And I sat and I looked in there and I'm petrified. I was struck with that intimidation that God in His beauty, kindness in a different form, kindness with a scalpel, said, Leanne, are you going to deal with this once and for all? This is not normal. It's not normal for a 50-year-old man and it is not normal for a 22-year-old pastor. It's time to stop bowing your knee to this spirit of fear, this idol of fear that has robbed from you and your family for too long. Some of us look at the collateral damage, but we don't go to the source. We look at the fact we're lonely, we got no friends, we, we, we're racked with insecurity and intimidation and anxiety. Could it be 
that there is an idol in your family history that God is wanting you to tear down. I'm so proud of, I'm so proud of Gideon. This is why I love this story because he's an unlikely hero. Nothing about this gives me the feeling that he's some big buff Arnold Schwarzenegger Superman considers this divorce, right? The, uh, nothing about that gives me that impression. He calls himself a weakling. He says, I am the least of the least, but he tears down the idols even though he's afraid. And this is where we remember that it's the Holy Spirit's job to help us get free. And I think, honestly, the biggest part is the acknowledgement. When we allow God access into our life like King David did, oh God, search me, know me, test my every anxious thought and see that there be no wicked way within me. Seen to the obedience. I'm telling you, this is where a lot of Christians fall off. Are they going to heaven? Yep. But they're going to heaven jacked up and they're not taking anybody with them. And things could have been better than they've been if they allowed the Lord to come in for scene two, the obedience. Yes, it will cost you. Yes, there'll be some vulnerability. But the price you pay, whatever you have to put down, you will pick more up when you allow God to deal with the idols in your father's house. So that's your homework today to take some time, maybe go home and journal with God. And literally, it's, it's not rocket science. You don't need a college degree to do this. All you need to do is open your heart to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And God will use the perfect time to reveal things. So much was revealed in 2020. Distress reveals things. It doesn't so much create things as it reveals things. Marriages broke down. Were they perfect before that? No. It was just the conditions were perfect for them to be revealed. And what do we do when, when the Lord reveals something? We don't push it down and jump back into scene one. Oh, just affirm me again, Lord. We deal with it. Oh, oh, Jesus, I, I am. Take your scalpel where it needs to go. Father, I put my hand, my life in the hands of the trusted surgeon. You can trust God. You may not be able to trust men, but you can trust God. You can let him at you with a knife and not be in fear for your life, but know it's going to bring life back into your world. So what is it today? Maybe it is fear that you're struggling with. Don't, don't you want things to be better than they've been? Don't you want to live free? You can. You can live free. You don't have to live under that bondage. My, my life is proof positive of that. It, it's not easy. I got out of that car and I went into that glass room and it still wasn't easy. I did it afraid. It was awkward because I was awkward. <laughs> I, I didn't know how to be. I probably spoke too loud and interrupted people because I, I don't, where's my year again? Ah! <laughs> but, but eventually things got better. And, you know, I'm not where I need to be completely, but I'm not where I used to be. I feel like scene two is the scene that we keep revisiting over and over again. And God will really reveal another layer as we are able to, to handle it. God is so beautiful. He really is. Please trust Him with your life. And you'll find that He'll surface things at the perfect time and say, hey, I, I want you to see this now. I want you to look in the eyes of the ugly idol you've been bowing to. It's been robbing from you for a really long time. Let's cut it down. Let's tear it down. So that's your homework.
That's the homework segment. Amen. Amen, Leanne. But then something happened after that. So so Gideon's courage created an environment of courage. And that's what happens when when you allow God to come and into your life, expose to you and truly reveal to you the wicked things you've been bowing to and you are courageous enough to be obedient to his leading. It puts faith and courage in other people. And that's exactly what happened. So immediately when when the men of the village, they woke up and they saw that idol had torn their precious idols down, they were losing their ever-loving minds. And they're like, where is Gideon, the son of Joash, that we may kill him? But then Gideon's father, and this is the amazing thing, because sometimes the reverse of what happens actually happens. So you're waiting on your dad to change, but it's actually when you change, your dad won't change. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes that's going to be the sequence of the story. So, so Gideon was a cycle breaker because he did what his father would not do. His father allowed this idolatry to stay in the family uncontested and Gideon had to take ownership for it. That's a cycle breaker. You're a cycle breaker. What in your family that no one else has the guts or the courage to tackle, will you tackle? Will you take on? And you're not alone. And just like Gideon, you will defeat the Midianites as one man. There are some things you will have to do alone, but you're really never alone because God is with you. And you'll realise when you have that knowledge, that's all you need. So anyway, the men of the town are losing their marbles. And then they make this threat, we're going to kill him. And then Joash stands up. His dad is like, oh, that's it. He's like, if Baal is real, if this idol is actually good and fruitful, let him plead for himself. And of course, this idol was revealed for the lie and the fraud that it was. Crickets, exactly. And then they changed Gideon's name from Gideon to Jerubbabel which means let Baal plead for himself. He got a superhero name. And then all of a sudden, this man who was committed to the transformation work of the Holy Spirit in his life put a fire of flame into every heart of every man in all of Israel. And they all said, we don't want to be robbed from anymore. Your transformation story will lead to putting courage in the lives of others. I have preached freedom from fear around the world, and I will gladly be vulnerable and, and expose myself in a, in a right way if it means you walk in the freedom that I've experienced. I want you to be encouraged by my story. Anxiety, intimidation, fear, they may be where you start, but they don't have to be the end of your story. Things can be better than they've been. I just love this story so much and it's it's only three chapters long so you can read the whole thing tonight and, and be inspired and the whole book of Judges is epic I think somebody needs to make a movie about the book of Judges maybe I'll do it <sighs> yes scene three you ready for scene three now now again this is another transitional moment so you can be saved, you can come down the altar, have an encounter with God, he washes you clean, he affirms your identity, you get a following Jesus book, awesome. And then you go and you have inner healing. God speaks to the areas of your life that are broken and the idols you've been bowing down to. You have a couple of sessions with Pastor Pam, you're feeling good in the hood. But then scene three is where it goes from 
all about me to all about others. And this is the game changer. And I'm, I'm not trying to be mean to anybody, but if the, if the American church was stuck anywhere, it's stuck between scene two and scene three. So I, I want to be healed. I want to be changed. I want to be delivered. I, I want to be free. I've accepted the free gift of salvation, but I'm just going to be content to live, to sit in a Bible study for the rest of my days and have my fellow brethren pray for me every now and then and we'll prophesy over each other, but we won't bring about any change. God didn't just want to save Gideon. He wanted to save the entire nation of Israel. It started with Gideon, but it didn't end with him. So we see the assignment. The final, the final scene is the assignment. And this is the game changer. This is where the adventure gets turned up. This is where you leave one side of the world for the other, for the furthering of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the building of the church. The greatest adventure you will ever live in your life is the God adventure. Christianity isn't boring if you do it right. If you pick up the assignment, you weren't meant to just sit in a Bible study and have people pray for you. You've had so much inner healing and you're, you're so fat on what God's done that you're walking around in the spirit. You look put together. You've got all the things. You've had all the things done, all the work. But it's sorry, in the natural, that's how you look. But, but in the spirit, you're a big fat job of the hut. I need more words. I need more inner healing. I need more Bible studies. You don't. You need to release some of what God has given you into the life of another. This is what Gideon did. It didn't stop at his transformation. It didn't stop at him tearing down the altar of Baal and Asher in his father's house. He went on to rescue Israel. What an amazing thing. What, what, is, what is it we love about Harriet Tubman? Was it that she was a slave that was freed? Well, there were a lot of slaves that were freed. Why is Harriet Tubman a hero? She's a hero because she wasn't just a slave that was freed. She was a slave who freed other slaves. That's, that's the kicker. And in Galatians 5.13, the Bible tells us, I want you because you've been called to be free. Seen too, you have been called to freedom. That's your portion. Those whom the sun sets free are free indeed. But Paul gives a caveat. Don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. I'm going to go to another conference. I'm going to chase down another man of God for a prophecy. No, it, it's, it's time for you to give back. Use your freedom, Paul says, as an opportunity to serve others. This is what the Christian life looks like. So, so what scene are you stuck in? Is God wanting to cut some stuff away from your life, but you're resisting that scalpel? And he's got you on that, you know, that hospital bed with the gown that has no back on it? <laughs> Don't get off the table. It's embarrassing. You run down the hallway and... Oh dear, lay down, submit, let, let him cut it out. And, and if I'm honest, scene two will, scene two is like Groundhog Day. We, we never arrive while we're alive. There's still fear that God is dislodging in my life a little bit. So go through life and I've had this great breakthrough and I certainly preach on it and I, and I want to deliver other people from it because I know what freedom feels like. Like Harriet Tubman, I don't, I don't want to just be free. I want to free other people. 
But I, but yeah, there are moments, scene two. God's taken me back to scene two. It's time for another layer. And when that happens, don't feel discouraged. I think freedom is like the skin of an onion. One layer at a time as you can handle it. So allow God to take you back to scene two or revisiting every now and then. But understand that the ultimate goal is always your assignment. You were created on purpose for a purpose. God saved you. He wants to heal and deliver you. And He wants to position you through divine design and intent. You are a freedom fighter. Don't be a selfish Christian. One day, it doesn't feel like it now because the world is so here. One day, all this is going to pass away. The Bible says that the sky will split and trumpets will sound and Jesus will come back to collect us. So everything here is going to, it's, we're going to be in heaven talking with each other. We'll go, can you, do you even remember earth? Oh my gosh. The Bible says this life is but a vapour. But one day we'll be there. And I don't want to stand before God and present myself kind of like the parable of the talents where they, they had one, three or five. And, and I may only have one freaking talent, but I'm going to work that bad boy. I'm going to multiply it. I, I don't want to just get to heaven and go, oh, here's me healed and not quite as dysfunctional as I was. <laughs> Hugs. I want to be able to say, God, here is me and a whole company of others. Look what I did with what you gave me. Just like Jesus said to His disciples, freely you have received, now freely give, freely give. And the best part of the whole story, and I will be with you. I didn't realise I didn't need a whole lot of man's accolades and I'm not trying to disparage anybody who has a whole lot of degrees and things. Your discipline is astounding. You did something that, that I couldn't do because clearly I would have checked out after maybe five minutes and been daydreaming about being married to Jürgen like I did as a 16-year-old in class. Yeah. God is with you. Things can be so much better than they've been This life is an exciting adventure if you allow God in. And I never want to be, want to have the stories that I watch on television or the movies be the most exciting adventures I see. I I want to live them. Do you know that the book of Acts is still being written? It's the only book of the Bible without an ending because we're still writing it. What's it going to say about you What's it going to say about me? What's it going to say about Awaken Church? Now, 90, 95, 100 years on planet Earth, what will our legacy be? Gideon changed. His life was changed by the Lord. It started with him, but then he changed Israel. And then we see in the later part of Gideon's story that his son, Jetha, still struggled with fear. The Bible says he came against two enemy, two, two kings, Zebulun and Zunami, I think their names were. And Gideon said to his son Jetha, pull out your sword and kill them. But the Bible says he couldn't do it because he was afraid because he was a youth. There was still fear there. Each child is going to have some battles they face, but those battles will strengthen them. But the difference between Jetha and Gideon is that Jetha had a role model. 
I had a role model. You may call, be called to be a Gideon, a cycle breaker, but the Lord is with you. You're going to be okay. He's going to bring you through. Time to function in that assignment. What do I do? God save me. God freed me. God freed me from an addiction. Praise God. Now do like Harriet Tubman did. Join the recovery team and help other addicts find freedom. Oh, I didn't have a a mum or a dad who loved me. I, I wasn't poured into as a kid. You can cry forever and get inner healing for the rest of your days. Or you can go to Emerge Junior and serve in kids' church and bring freedom to another generation of unparented young boys and girls. The story when you invite God in is just so magnificent. And, and it's our desire, Pastor Jürgens and I, that you, will, that you will experience it for yourself. That the greatest stories you live and enjoy and experience aren't the ones that we tell you, but the ones that you live. You live. And, and God, it starts with you. It starts with you. The whole world can shake, but if you have one of those encounters that changes your life forever, and you allow God to heal you and then you step into your assignment. My gosh, you're going to have the greatest, greatest story ever. The greatest story ever told. Why don't you just stand to your feet as we come to a close. I'm going to pray for you. So what scene do you find yourself in? Are you scene one and you're resisting scene two? Hey, it's okay for you to stand and let God water your soul. That's so important. If we don't let God water our soul, we look for watering in less healthy places. It's, it's an important season, but you're not meant to camp there. Maybe you're in scene two and you've got to allow God to cut away the things that have been robbing from you. And I pray in Jesus' Name that you come face to face like I did with the reality of what that ugly devil idol looks like. Idol, it doesn't offer life, but it sure does take it. So it's time to tear it down. And then finally, the assignment. Have you grabbed a hold of the God assignment for your life? Because one day, like the businessman who came back that the Bible talks about in the parable of the talents to to collect an account for what he'd entrusted. Are we going to say, here you go, Lord. I took what you gave me and I multiplied it. Amen. Just lift your hands. Father, I thank you for your beautiful church. Every one here you love. God, you know their stories. You know what scene they're in and what needs to happen. Father, I pray that as they go home, that they open up their hearts to hear from you, that you would reveal to them what needs to be revealed. You would give them the courage and strength to do what needs to be done. And Father, you would give them selfless hearts to help those around them who also need to be brought into freedom. Bless them this day. Father, I thank You for Your magnificent church. I thank You for these people. I thank You for their families. And I thank You for all You've done and all You're doing. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.